Untold Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary stranger. Hang your cloak and a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Jonathan Kahn is standing by to share with us some hidden ancient mysteries found in the Bible. He's with us for the full two hours. First, however, let me say, on behalf of all of us here on The Conspiracy Show, Ian and Albert and I, our hopes and prayers, of course, that 2017 will bring you peace, prosperity, and good health. A quick programming note. Next week, Toronto documentary filmmaker Mitch Fillion will be here to talk about Sir Paul McCartney. Remember back in the late 60s, the whole Paul is dead legend? Well, Mitch has made a documentary that sort of unravels that mystery, and he'll be here to tell us about it. And then in the second hour, Charmaine Fraser will join us from Scotland to talk about Bigfoot. That's right, Bigfoot sightings in the United Kingdom. Uh, It'll be a great show. Hope you can be with us for that. Imagine if you discovered a treasure chest in which were hidden ancient mysteries, revelations from heaven, secrets of the ages... The answers to man's most enduring age-old questions and the hidden keys that can transform your life to joy, success, and blessings. This is the Book of Mysteries. Jonathan Kahn is known for his uncovering of ancient mysteries and revealing their often startling significance to our day and age. His teachings and messages are broadcast daily throughout the United States and the world. He is the spiritual leader of the Jerusalem Center in Wayne, New Jersey, Previously, of course, he published the number one New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger, and The Shemitah Mystery. And now, of course, we have The Book of Mysteries. Jonathan Kahn, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Great, and always great to be back with you, Richard. Always always a joy. Excellent. Before we begin uh, delving into this treasure chest, uh, let's get an update. The last time we had you on was uh, probably when The Harbinger came out. Okay. Uh, there's so much that has happened, obviously, the uh, the recent presidential election, mm-hmm. geopolitical events on a major mm-hmm. scale, the economy. Mm-hmm. Give us an update on the Harbinger. Yeah, yeah. I will say one thing. You know, if people look in the Harbinger, uh, it it's a chapter on the towers. They will see quotes, and actually it's Donald Trump. <laughs> this, is, uh-huh. this is several years ago, um, and it links to this whole thing. But I'll, just, I'll, tell, I'll give you one that just happened pretty recently. You know, the harbinger, for those who don't know in a nutshell, it's that the signs that appeared in the last days of ancient Israel, which were warning of judgment, are now reappearing in America and around the world. And, and they are happening exactly. And now when ancient Israel was, you know, in, in the last days, in, in, in the last days of its existence in judgment, they were worshipping the god called in Hebrew Baal or Baal, and so you know this was the this was the anti god. He was the substitute for God. He, it's the Baal is the god that when a nation turns away from God turns to him. I mean, in one form or another, god of sexual immorality, god of offering up their children as sacrifices, um, god of hunting down the the righteous persecution. So, so this was happening when the harbingers were happening. Baal is really the god of the harbingers. So the question is, could the sign of Baal actually appear in America. Now, it would, it would be, you know, pretty unlikely because, you know, first of all, most people don't even know about Baal except for you're reading the Bible. And, you know, it's, it, it, it just, it, there's really no way it should happen. But the amazing thing, Richard, is that in this, just in this last period, this autumn, in New York City, the sign of Baal appeared. They actually erected the Arch of Baal. Now, this is, a, this is an arch where the people of, who worship Baal would go through to worship their god. And this is, this is something, actually, it's a recreation of what was in Syria. 
and they erected it in uh, in New York City, uh, right outside City Hall. I actually was there uh, to witness this. And the you know, in, if you read the, in the Harbinger, the, every time that something is like erected, one of these Harbingers is erected. You see that uh, a leader will say something like, "We're doing this in the spirit of defiance," or "We're doing this as an act of defiance." Well, right, right. ancient Israel, when they were doing this, it was all an act of defiance. Well, the deputy mayor of New York City was there. We heard this firsthand. She's announcing the arch. It was actually covered up with a sheet, and they had this big. They unveiled it with playing Middle Eastern music. You can imagine that was played during the worship of Baal. And she says, she announces, we are doing this as an act of defiance. And so, you know, defying who? Is, defying who? That's a, well, a few things. It's, it's kind of like, just like in the Harbinger, when they were rebuilding what was destroyed, and that, that's a whole other thing, is they were defying, on one hand, the people who had destroyed it, but they're also defying God, is what it's saying in, in, in Isaiah. They're doing this, they're saying, hey, you're not going to stop us, and God, you're not going to humble us. We're going to come back stronger, bigger, you know, better than before without you. And that, that, was the, that was the statement of defiance. Well, the interesting thing is, this, you know, in the Harbinger, the, the when they were saying this, for those who've read it, we, we will rebuild, we'll get stronger. Well, they were rebuilding what the Assyrians, ancient Assyrians, destroyed. Now, the ancient Assyrians are the fathers of terrorism. They gave the world terrorism. That every terrorist, in some way, is descended from the Assyrians, you know, spiritually or actually, could even be physically. Well, ISIS, more than ever, more than any other people, ISIS actually is not only kind of spiritual descendants of the Assyrians, they actually are the descendants of the Assyrians. They, they, you know, Iraq and Syria, that's ancient, the ancient Assyrian Empire. They took uh, Mosul, that's the ancient capital. The, what the ancient Assyrians did is they, they were known for decapitating their victims as terror and then broadcasting it, showing it to everybody. Well, that's exactly what mm -hmm. ISIS does. Right. So right. ISIS, you know, but the thing is that ISIS, a year, a year or so ago, they destroyed the Arch of Baal in Syria, the ancient Arch of Baal. They destroyed it. So now, not only are we putting up, in America, we're putting up the, the, the Arch of Baal, but we're actually rebuilding what the actual Assyrians destroyed. This is actually from Syria, this arch. So we're literally doing exactly what they did in ancient Israel. And so this is a sign in the Bible that Baal, a sign of a nation that has known God, has turned away from God, has turned to immorality, has persecuted God's people, all that right in New York City. Unbelievable. Jonathan Kahn is with us, and his latest is The Book of Mysteries. Jonathan leads the Jerusalem Center Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey. He's president of Hope of the World and outreach uh, to peoples throughout the world. And uh, he has, of course, addressed members of Congress and the United Nations. And uh, again, we're talking about his latest, The Book of Mysteries. Interesting kind of narrative tool that you use with this book of mysteries. 365 mysteries, sort of a devotional. We can read one a day for the entire year, but tell me about the narrative structure. Yeah. I mean, it can be read, you know, completely through. You know, people are reading it right through. People are reading it once a day. People are reading it jumping all over. It's a kind of a different realm thing. It can be done as devotional. It can be done as straight through. First thing, if the Harbinger is the revealing of a mystery, an ancient mystery, or the Shemitah is the revealing, the Book of Mysteries is the revealing of literally hundreds of the mysteries of the age, mysteries of the end times, mysteries of God, mysteries of the hidden writings of the rabbis, mysteries of, I mean, everything. So what I believe are some of the greatest, really, mysteries of the ages. And so it's that, right? really what's being revealed, but as you alluded to, this is what, 
I'm using kind of the narrative that I used in the Harbinger that there's a story that frames it. A man goes into the a desert, meets a man who's simply called the teacher, and every day the teacher takes him on a. It could be on a mountaintop, could be in a cave, could be in a can, could be you know all over. And every day he reveals another mystery of God or the mystery of the age. And so, so therefore, since he spends a year in the desert. It's a, it's as you said, 365 mysteries. So you're really, when you're reading it, you're really taken on a journey through the desert, and every day there's another mystery. And some of the mysteries are are streams of mysteries. In other words, it's kind of like a puzzle piece. Some of them are building on a bigger and a mystery that's even bigger. That at the end they all kind of can kind of come home. So, and even the mystery. I mean, ultimately, the mystery of 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 our existence in each one and finding finding your destiny. So it's all these things, and I know we'll get into, we'll touch on some of them, but it's all these things, but ultimately it's to change lives. So there are people, you know, this is for believers, but it's also for non-believers. And we're, we're getting, it just came out, but we're getting stuff from all over that, you know, people are being changed, and that's, that's what it's all about. If one didn't speak uh, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, uh, many of these mysteries wouldn't be revealed, because one of the things that I've learned about, about Hebrew is, when you, and I don't speak it, uh, or read it, uh, mm-hmm. is that uh, suddenly it's almost like it's you're you're seeing the Bible in a three-dimensional way now, um, whereas you take the literal translation, for example, the word God, but in in, in Hebrew, Elohim. Explain. Yes. Therein lies a mystery right there with the very name Elohim. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Well, first of all, um, yeah, that absolutely, Richard. Yeah, one of the things that you know, see, when you translate the Bible into English or whatever language, you you have to choose one word. They had to choose one word for each thing, but in Hebrew, that one word could have. You know, can have you know fifteen different meanings, and and depending on the text of it or or the or the what the form is, that's a whole other realm. And so, absolutely, there are things you just cannot get in when you without looking at the original language. You just said Elohim. That's the very first noun in the Bible, and it's a noun that breaks the laws of really Hebrew. Elohim is literally a it's a plural word, so it's God, but it's actually plural when it's a, in other places in the Bible. It's translated as gods, but it's not it's not gods. It's God, because you know the first the first word the first sentence of the Bible is Birashit Bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Well, the word for God is plural, but the word for created is singular. So it's saying that God is both plural and singular. So what it's saying is several things. One is you can even you can get the Trinity right there. I mean, the very first first sentence of the Bible is there. It kind of breaks the laws of Hebrew. And the other thing is that when a when a word should really be a singular, but it, in the Hebrew it's plural, like this, like Elohim, what it's telling you is that the reality behind that word is so big, is so so amazing that the, the no word can capture it. So it, it puts it in plural to tell you that this is so big, so beyond that. No matter how much you think you know of God, there's always more. There's no end. God is the first mystery and the last mystery. There's no end to God. And so the very first noun in the Bible is telling you all that. The Book of Mysteries. Jonathan Kahn, my guest, and he stays with us for the full two hours. One of the mysteries in the book has to do with the face in the waters. Explain what that is. Okay, yeah. Well, the, the, at one point, the, the teacher takes the disciple to a, in the desert to a kind of pool of water that's there and shows him something. It was really one of the principles. I mean, this is an example of a, a, cause, a kind of cosmic principle, a biblical principle, and a principle that can, that can alter one's life. 
Matt is that whatever he does, you know, he, he says, you know, smile in the water. So he smiles. So what happens? And the, and the image smiles back. You lift up your hand. You know, uh, if, you, if you lift up a fist to that, to that water, there's a fist back at you. If you open up your hand as if you're giving, it's a, it, the hand is in the water giving back to you. And that's the principle in the Bible that no matter whatever you do, there's a principle that it comes back at you. If you live a life, you know, the Bible says if you're merciful, you know, you will have mercy. If you give, it shall be given to you. If you take, it'll be taken from you. you know, so it's a mystery or reciprocity that whatever you do in life, this is what you do. If you want to be blessed, you have to bless. You know, very, you know, it's a simple, yet it's profound. It can change your life. Whatever you do is going to come back at you almost as if you're looking in the waters, and that face in the waters is you. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm just remembering in Genesis, there is that passage, and I don't think this is in the book, but in Genesis, when the earth was created, it talks about the Spirit of God moving across the face of the water. And I read somewhere that the Hebrew word, you can, you would know more about this obviously than I would, but the word move in Hebrew actually translate more to brooding or even fluttering. And someone made the comparison of a duck that will flutter in the air above its nest to keep the air temperature just so that it's ideal for when those eggs hatch to keep the, the ducklings in, in perfect condition. And when you think about it, you know, God, the Spirit of God moving on the face of the water, he's creating, he's fluttering, he's keeping the earth in perfect form to incubate life. Well, that, there is much to that, Richard, because the Hebrew absolutely is that. The Hebrew can mean brooding of, of that water, and the Hebrew can mean, can mean fluttering. And it's interesting, too, because when the Spirit appears in the New Testament, or it comes in the form of what? A dove, you know, you know uh-huh. which is a, obviously. So, yeah, so it, whenever, when God is creating or something new is happening, you always see the Spirit involved, whether it's the day of creation or whether it's the resurrection. All right. It, we'll, it's the Spirit. Yeah. Well, let me jump in. We'll take a quick time out. We'll yeah. come back and continue to discuss the Book of Mysteries with Jonathan Conrad. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Jonathan Kahn, The Book of Mysteries. Uh, how can we get a copy, Jonathan? The Book of Mysteries is available everywhere, every, from Amazon online, anywhere online, plus any bookstore from Walmart to anywhere else. It's everywhere. So much of, of what you write about, obviously, is prophetic and um, end times uh, prophecy. Let's talk about, let's open up one of the mysteries of the end times in the Book of Mysteries. Yeah, one of them, in, in, in one, one of the parts, the, the teacher takes the disciple into something called the Chamber of Books and opens up a page, and uh, that's an old book, and it's, it's faded. There's a picture on one side, there's text on the other, and, and the picture is faded, and the text is faded, and he begins to open up something called the mystery of the apostia. Uh, and, and here it is, that in, you know, we read, the Bible says in the last days, there'll be a, there'll be a great falling away. And that, that, the word in Greek is apostasia. And the thing is that apostasia means that, I mean, we're seeing it, it means falling away from faith, and we, we can see that around the world. But at the same time, it has another meaning that people don't realize, it, and, it, and this ancient meaning is, is amazing because it's showing exactly what's happening right now. And the word apostasy doesn't just mean a falling away from faith. It literally means a departure from the state of being. And so what apostasia, a departing from the state of being. Now, what that means is that in the last days, when you not only will see a falling away of faith, you will also see 
man departing from the state of manhood, woman departing from the state of womanhood, marriage departing from the state of marriage, family from the state of family, man from the state of humanity. So we are seeing that as well. I mean, in every way, shape, or form. We won't get into detail. That's happening all around. But that is that is in the ancient Greek that is actually watching to explain why what's happening. See, when you the, the the creation comes from the word. The Bible says, if you take away the word, the form of creation begins to disappear, and that is what we are watching. And something another mystery that's like that in the end times is the mystery of the fourth creature. When you know Daniel is shown this this vision of the four creatures, and and the, each creature represents a kingdom or empire right, or a civilization. Right. Well, the last one, the fourth one, is representing the end time, the last civilization. And, and what it says, you, you, know, you wouldn't get this, this is what you, know, kind of what you were talking about. This is the, about. the feet of clay, right? Yes, the feet of, the feet of clay with the ten horns and the whole thing, and you know, linked to Rome, and, but an end time civilization. You won't see this in the, in the English, but in Hebrew, when it's, it says that the fourth creature was diverse from the rest. Well, the word in, in, in Hebrew, shana, means not just that, it means that the word means, means diff, altered or, or different as an artificial. It's an altered creature, an altered form, meaning that the end time civilization will be an unnatural one. It will be altered. It will be one that's artificial in many ways, um, one that departs from nature. So we, you see it actually all over the Bible. The trans, and it sounds like it's echoing the transhumanist movement. Absolutely. Yeah, right, that's right. exactly it. That's uh, exactly well, it. Just this yeah. last week, there was a headline out of the UK where the uh, they have approved the use of of uh, two fathers when artificially inseminating or fertilizing an egg. So uh, you will have test two babies or uh, that will have two fathers. Now this has just been approved. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. It's man playing God, and it, and it's really what the not the Bible alludes to this, and then but the original language is even more specific. That's exactly what is to happen. Some of the, the mysteries in the Book of Mysteries, they reveal how they've actually determined human history, even modern yes. history, the existence of America. Tell us what. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of them, several of the mysteries in the Book of Mysteries is, uh, talks, I mean, there's prophecy and there's history, things behind everything. I'll give you an example of what you, what you just mentioned. Uh, the, there is a mystery in there called the mystery of the Ninth of Av. And that is that, you know, when this great, when tragedy happened to ancient Israel, when, when the Romans came in, they destroyed the temple, it happened on a date of the Hebrew calendar called the Ninth of Av. Well, that's uh, hundreds of years before the Temple of Solomon was destroyed by the Babylonians on the 9th of Av, the exact same day. So they each happen on the exact same day. But then if you move forward in Jewish history, you find that all these great, the, the great, some of the greatest calamities in Jewish history happen on the same day. The Jew, especially when they're being like driven out of a nation, they were, the Jewish people were driven out of uh, France on the ninth of Av, Spain, uh, uh, England ninth of Av, Spain ninth of Av. Same thing. The Holocaust has a link to the ninth of Av. All these things. But now there's another part. There's another mystery called the tenth of Av or the tenth of Av redemption in the book. And here's this: that if, if the ninth of Av is a day of calamity. The tenth of Av, or the next day, is the day of the, the beginning of redemption. Because when the Jewish people were driven out of one land, they were, God was always preparing another land to be a refuge for them. So it kind of begins the next day as the tenth of Av is redemption. Well, here's the thing: a few centuries ago, the Jewish people are fleeing for their lives. They're being driven out of a land, and they have to go, or they're going to be killed. They're fleeing. They're going to the harbors. They're getting in ships, and they're fleeing. And the day is the ninth of Av. 
But the, in the same harbor, same land, same harbor, are is the Nina, the Pinta, and the oh. Santa Maria. <laughs> in the same harbor, Spain, the same year, 1492, same month, the month of Ab, same, same week, same, same day, Columbus is there in the same harbors, and the next day, the 10th of Ab, Day of Redemption, the day when another land is chosen, that they have three set sails. So on the day of the, when the Jewish people lost their greatest refuge, which was Spain, the next day God was already planting the seeds of another land that would become the greatest refuge they ever had after Spain, which is America. Right, so the, right. so the America, the very beginning of America is linked to an ancient Hebrew holy day. That's how amazing it is. And this is world history, all linked to the, the mysteries of the Bible. See, America, Israel, just two ships. Passing in the night. Yes. yes. Jonathan Kahn, Mysteries, uh, the Book of Mysteries. Um, I want to ask you about another a specific uh, mystery in the Bible, and that is uh, the unscriptures. What is that about? Okay, I think the the well, I think in in that one that that it, I, I believe the teacher shows the disciple. Um, these scrolls and 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 he talks about the unscriptures and, and what, what's that and it says that that most of what he reads when he looks at the looks he looks it's actually in the chamber of scrolls he looks at this scroll and he said most of it is not black most of it is white and and it says this is the unscriptures what what is that that if you re- open your Bible most of the Bible that you see is white not not the black you know and so what it's saying is this. There is always this, the word doesn't just come in in a, in a vacuum. The word comes in on a context. Always there has to be a context. You could not read the Bible. You, you could not read a scripture if you didn't have the white behind the black and or behind the words. There's a context. So the word always needs a context. So so when God sends His word. We have to become the sacred white. But what he's saying is the white of the scripture is just as sacred as the ink. And so, because you need that, that when you take the word, the word has to come to your life, has to come to every part of your life. That is the sacred white of God's word. It's not just the black, it's the white. And so that, he says, is the, that is the unscriptures of God, which is your life. We talked about how the book is it's a devotional and it's in, in 365 mysteries and you every day you could read one and then there's almost like a mission associated with yes. each so yes. give us a sort of yeah. help us find some of the, the like the purpose uh, the destiny in one's life in one of these mysteries yeah well first of all yeah every and again it's 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 a, devo- a devotional but not like another one devotional and it's it's also not a devotional because you can read it right through but the thing yes we, at every at the end of every teaching at the end of every every revelation or mystery every day there's another mystery at the end the teacher gives the disciple a an app- a way to apply to take the mystery and apply it to his life because it's not just about getting blown away by God it's about applying it to your life and and so and that's when it ch- that's when it will change your life which i would say that if you if you apply it every it will absolutely change your life and so example you know one of the one of the things is that i mean it, it's ultimately to touch our lives the mystery of our life and at one point the the teacher takes the, the disciple to this mountain and says you know and says on the top of the mountain is this you have to find this thing there's something on the top that's waiting at this exact spot and there's all the, and the he says you got to find the way and there's all these paths leading up to the mountain and the the, the disciple says which path do i do i find he said, well, that's what you have to find out. He goes up and he keeps trying to find in one path leads to another, and he gets up no closer, ends up going down. Finally, the teacher gives him the answer, and that is how to find the destiny of your life, how to find God's purpose, the exact destiny of your life. And it's this. In Hebrew, there's a word called aliyah. And aliyah is this. 
whenever it speaks about Jesus going to Jerusalem, it says he went up to Jerusalem. He's always going up to Jerusalem. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're going up, because Jerusalem's on the mountains. Right, right. And so what the journey to Jerusalem is called Aliyah, which means the upward ascent, the ascending journey. And so if we, if anyone, if we know God, if we're of his, we are all heading to Jerusalem. We're heading to a, the new Jerusalem. That means our life must become an Aliyah, meaning we must always be going upward. That's the, the direction your life is in east-west. It's upward, always, every day, to go higher and higher. And so what the, what the teacher says, if you had just done this, every day you're going to be given choices. Every day you can go higher, you can go lower, you can, you can resist the sin, you can go with sin, you can go with this love, you can go with selfishness. Every day you have a step to go higher or lower. And if you go higher, what's going to happen on that mountain, even if you don't know the trail, the right path, even if you don't know God's exact will for your life, if you every day ascend one step higher, one step higher, you're going to get to that mountaintop, and you're going to get to the exact center of that mountain, and you're going to intersect with the exact path that God has for your life. So even if you don't know God's will for your life, I mean, specifically, that follow, make your life an aliyah, and take every day, take that higher step, and you will get it in the exact center of God's appointed destiny for your life. Remarkable. Uh, Jonathan Kahn is with us, and the uh, book is The Book of Mysteries. It's available everywhere. Uh, you mentioned Jerusalem. You mentioned East-West, and it's 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 interesting yes. because I, I think I, I heard about this from originally from Chuck Misler and the idea yes. that uh, all, all cultures west of Jerusalem, uh, the written language goes from left to right. Uh, but all cultures east of Jerusalem, everything is written right to left. That, that's mm-hmm. not, that can't be an accident. No, and I've I've heard that. I haven't I haven't checked it out, but I've heard that. And I mean, everything centers around Jerusalem, and I wouldn't be surprised at all with that. And then you know, you mentioned East West, that just triggered something here. That there's something called the the East West continuum. Yes, yes, and that's one of the mysteries. And that and that is that you know, in the Bible, the God sets everything up according to East West, and meaning the temple had to be East West. The Holy of Holies was was on the west, and the the altar was on the east. When the scapegoat took the sins of the people away how to go from west to east. So everything is always east-west. And why is that? I mean, some people have an idea of this, but it's, it's still awesome. And that is that, you know, back then, the answer is amazing. Back then, they didn't know, I mean, they didn't know the, the earth. I mean, they didn't, they didn't understand all things of science, but God did. And so the reason is because the earth is a sphere. And because the earth is a sphere and it's turning on an axis, if you go north, if God did it north to south, and it says, I take your sins away to the north or the south, well, it would be a few thousand miles separating the two. Your sins would be a few thousand miles away. But if you go east, east goes on forever. And west goes on forever because the earth is a sphere. So west is infinite, east is infinite. And so, so why it is is because it says that God says, I will, I will take your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far? Infinitely far. You can never get there because he has the redemption we have is infinite. Uh, we'll be heading into a break shortly, but let's get this discussion rolling now. And that's, sure. I want to talk about the, the, the many mysteries of Eden. Um, let, let's start now and then, yes. and then we can okay. continue on yeah. after. Yeah, there are, and, and yeah, the book has a lot of the mysteries of Eden, and that is, you know, that everything really begins in Eden, um, and it comes home. And first of all, uh, example, you know, why did Jesus, why did Messiah die on Friday? Well, Friday isn't Friday in the, in the Hebrew. Friday is the sixth day, and everything begins actually on the night before. Every Hebrew day begins the, the night, the sundown before. 
the passion, everything begins, the, the sun sets, you have Passover, you have the Last Supper, you have Gethsemane, you have the arrest, and you have the trial, you have the crucifixion. Everything takes place from sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. And that is the, the Hebrew sixth day. Why? Because man fell, man was created on the sixth day. So man is redeemed on the sixth day. Uh-huh. So, so it all matches up. Why did he wear thorns? I mean, crown of thorns, very strange thing to wear. Why? Because when, when the fall of man came and God, the curse came, what was the sign of the curse? It says, thorns shall be borne by the earth. The sign of the curse was thorns. So when you put a crown on a king, he, be, he, he becomes the king of that. Well, when they put the crown on, Messiah becomes the king of the curse. He becomes the king of the fall. He becomes the king over the fall. So he's the king of everybody who's fallen. He's right. the king who has authority over that. I mean, and that's, that's just the beginning. There is so much to and, the mysteries of Eden. And we'll pick up on the mysteries of Eden. On the other side, Jonathan Kahn, the book of mysteries, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Anyone can create a podcast on the web. In fact, there are millions of them online. But if you want quality Internet talk radio, just remember this address, TalkZone.com. TalkZone is Internet talk radio for planet Earth with talented hosts, great guests, and good conversation. Ready to share your thoughts and ideas with a global audience? Become a TalkZone show host yourself. Learn more at TalkZone.com. Internet talk radio for planet Earth. TalkZone.com. This is an urgent message for all individuals struggling with extremely large credit card debt. No matter how much you owe on your credit cards, the company that has settled more debt than anyone in the U.S. could settle your debt, too, while you make one low monthly program payment. If you're serious about resolving your credit card debt, you have the opportunity to hear how low your monthly program payment could be for free. This free information is available now, courtesy of Freedom Debt Relief, the company that gets results. Call 1-800-574-8022. Repeat, if you are struggling with extremely large credit card debt, you may have the ability to reduce your total debt and get one simple low monthly program payment. This could allow you to resolve your debt faster than you thought possible. Call Freedom Debt Relief now to learn how much you could save. 1-800-574-8022. This life-changing information is available free only to those serious about dealing with their credit card debt. Call 1-800-574-8022. I want my own website, but I don't know where to start. Start at Pear. Pear offers hosting plans that are perfect for someone who's just starting out. But I'm not really tech savvy. Not to worry. Pear has WordPress hosting packages. What's WordPress? It's web software that even a beginner can use to create a beautiful website. So where do I start? Pear.com? Pear.com. As in, we make a perfect pair. Pair Networks Web Hosting. Tell your friends. Keeping an eye on the New World Order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Jonathan Kahn, the Book of Mysteries. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the mysteries of Eden. What are the days of future past as they pertain to the mysteries of Eden? Yeah, okay. One of the mysteries has that title, and that is this. In the Hebrew, and you wouldn't realize this, you mentioned at the beginning, but there, there's so much going on. I mean, in the Greek, too, but there's so much going on in the Hebrew that you wouldn't, in the Bible, that you would not know without that, and this is one of them. What people don't realize, in the Bible, there is no, in the Hebrew, there's no real past, present, or future. 
there are words that are used to take the place of them, but in the actual language, there is no true, absolute past, present. Hebrew is actually timeless, and the Bible is actually timeless in the original language. And so the thing is, the thing is this. What it means is this. In the, in the Bible, you'll have things that it talks about that are yet to come, and yet it talks about it as if it's already done. Right. You how know? fitting. And how it, fitting. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, there's only two real tenses, and that's called perfect or imperfect. Imperfect means it is still going to ha- It's not finished. So that's used for pre- that's used for present, and that's used for future. It's not finished. Perfect is used for the past because perfect means it's completed, it's finished. But in the Bible, these laws are broken. It becomes timeless because, it's, as you said, it speaks of things that are yet to come, yet as if they're already done. For instance, Isaiah 53, it says that there's prophecy that Messiah is going to die for our sins, but some of that prophecy is written in the past tense, meaning it's not that it's, that it's done, it's as good as done. It's a perfect work. It's as good as done. What is yet to come is as good as done. And so the thing is that what it's saying is the secret is to live from the future. In other words, if you're going to live from the perfect, you live from what will already be as if it's already done. That's why, and, and you see glimpses of this. This is like time travel, but the glimpses of this because besides that, that he says when you pray, pray as if it's already done. You know, all these things in the Bible that you live from what you will be. You don't live from who you are. You live from who you are going to be by God's word. What has He ordained? What's going to happen at the end? You live from the finish line. You don't. You don't say, well, okay, if I do this, I'm going to be victorious. You live from the victory now. I'm already victorious, and I'm going to now fulfill what God has. It is already as good as done. Salvation is the future past. It's already completed, and, it, and it's as good as done. It's a, it's a mystery to live your life, but it can change your life. So how then do we change our past? Okay, that, that's great, because that's the other side. If, if you can have the future as if it's already done, could you have the past as, as if it's already not done? And, and, and there's, a, there's a few mysteries there linked to that, and that is that, that in, in the Bible, it actually speaks about changing the past. Now, how can you possibly do that? Well, God can do that. We can't, but God can. And that is that, you know, it says, for instance, it says in Isaiah, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Well, how do you do that? How, I mean, sin is something that you've committed. It's in the past. It's done. Right. How do you, how can you make sins as white as snow? Only if you change the past. God has the power to change the past that you can live as if that past never happened and as if he gave you a new past because that's what he does. Now you are his beloved children. It wipes away the old past, gives you a new record. That means a new past. And if you can change the past, you change the present, you change the future. And something linked to that, Richard, which is really cool, which is one of the streams of mysteries in the Book of Mysteries are the hidden writings of the rabbis. That these things that you would never, even most Jewish people have no idea of, many rabbis have no idea of it, but I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. And it links to this. There's something called, there's something there called the Crimson Redemption, or the, Scar- or the Scarlet Redemption. That is, that there is an amazing thing, that in the writings of the rabbis, really hidden writings, it reveals that when the, on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, that there was a thread, there was a scarlet thread that was hung up in the temple. And when the, when the, the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement was finished, that thread would turn from crimson to white. And they would read the scripture, though your sins are scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Well, the rabbi said that all of a sudden, 
Something started happening in the temple. Everything went crazy. Something that, that everything, all these signs started taking place that was saying that there was a cosmic change in the universe. And what, what was it? Well, with, the, with the, the thread, it said it all of a sudden, one year it stopped turning white as if God wasn't accepting the sacrifices anymore. Or, in other words, if the final sacrifice came. Well, what year was it? The rabbis say it happened 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Well, it was, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So around that, it says around that time, when? Around the year 30 A.D., the rabbi said everything changed. There was a cosmic change as if, a, as if the sacrifices changed, everything changed. I mean, it says that, you know, the New Testament says that the veil of the temple was, was, was split apart when right. Messiah died. Right. Well, the rabbis actually bear witness. They say that the doors of the temple would open by themselves starting around 30 A.D. The rabbi, I mean, there's amazing stuff there, and the rabbis even give a date by which the Messiah had to come, and it's one of the mysteries, I think, in the book it's called the scepter of judah which is actually also pinpoints the time that jesus came i mean amazing and this is the rabbi so if, if you're, you're not going to listen to anything else if, if even the rabbis are saying it well it better be true because because they deny him and yet they're bearing witness to him all right this is uh, absolutely remarkable and we'll get to um uh, the mystery of the triangles oh, when sure. we come back jonathan Kahn, my guest and the book is the book of mysteries stay with us right here on the conspiracy show Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Jonathan Kahn, The Book of Mysteries. Let us know again how we can get a copy. Yeah, The Book of Mysteries is available literally everywhere. You can get it now online, Amazon, or anywhere else. It's also wherever books are, um, physically from uh, Walmart to uh, Barnes and & Noble. And it looks like, actually, the cover looks like one of these ancient books in, the ch- in like one of these chambers of the, of the teacher. So it kind of looks like, like a 2,000-year-old you know, th- book, but it's new. <laughs> so. And mine looks like that just because it's already well-thumbed. Oh, that's good. <laughs> no wonder you're asking all these questions. <laughs> what, uh, so we, we were talking about the, the mysteries of Eden, and uh, we, not, we have to get to the mystery of the triangles because this is fascinating. Well, here, here, and this again shows, shows you how awesome God is, and how awesome the things are, which, you know, which are there. And he does, you know, it, it's it's not that he, he has to say everything. There's so much to God and so much to His ways. You know, in in Passover, which is really the central day of the Hebrew calendar, that was the day that the you know they they had to put the blood on their doorposts, and it says that they put the blood. It had to be on the top, the the top of the doorpost, had to be in the side, the one side on the right and the left. So they had three three points of blood. Blood. Now, if you put them together, now, now in, the, in the book, the teacher is revealing this. He's sitting in the sand with a disciple, and he's actually literally drawing this in the sand. If you connect the, the points of blood, the Passover blood on the day of Passover, that first Passover, well, it forms a triangle, and a triangle facing, pointing upward from man to God. Well, if you, if you, well, what happens if you take this all the way home? Take the, over a thousand years later comes the ultimate Passover. And here comes, here is Messiah. It's, he dies when? On Passover, same day, no accident. He dies as the lamb. And it's on what? On beams of wood, just like the doorpost beams. Mm. And you have blood, the blood of the lamb on the beams on Passover. Same thing. But, but where was the blood? 
the blood was on his left hand, his right hand pierced, and his feet were pierced. Those were three points of blood. And so you connect it together, and what do you get? You get a triangle. But this triangle is the opposite. It's pointing downward from God to man. What happens if you now put them together? You get the Star of David. So here God makes the star over, it's like a cosmic star of David over the span of over a thousand years formed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, God is amazing. Remarkable, remarkable. Jonathan Kahn, The Book of Mysteries. Just a little, a slight departure, but we mentioned the crucifixion. And we were also talking earlier about certain words in Hebrew that sort of break the rules. Yes. Uh, yes. Rules of grammar. Yes. And one of those is the word death. Oh, yes. Yeah, one, yeah, if you, again, and this is, you know, again, you framed it, and that, that is, here's one of the other things you just cannot possibly see in the English, but it's there. And if you, when you read in Isaiah 53, here's the awesome prophecy of Messiah, and this is seven centuries before he came, and in it, it says, it speaks clearly about the death of Messiah. This is the Jewish, the Hebrew scriptures about the Jewish Messiah. He's gonna die for our sins. But it says, it says, with a rich man in his death, but when you, Go to the original, it does not say in his death. It says in his deaths, literally deaths. I mean, now that, now what that means is two things. I mean, several things. One is, it's telling you, as I, I alluded to before, that what, when, when the Hebrew does that, it should be death. Because, I mean, you know, either say their death or say his death, but his death. It's breaking the That's law. Grammatically incorrect, right? I mean, just just like yeah, just like in Genesis, you know, God created. Those are two different. They don't go together. It breaks the laws, and so here it is. One, it's saying that when that happens, it's telling you that that word cannot contain the reality that it's speaking of. So what it's saying is what what Jesus did on the cross. It's it, it death. Is what it, why it's saying is is that the word death cannot even contain what he did for you. What he contained. What he did for me. It's beyond. We can't even be, imagine what he did. That's Number two, it's his death. Why? Because he didn't die his death. He didn't die a death for him. He died our death. So literally, if you want to, you want the record of that that you that that your life was died for, or that your death, your old life died. It's right there in the the Hebrew. Why it's plural? Because that includes me. That includes you. That includes all of us. It's all done. It's all gone. And that's just that's just one word there. I mean, you know that that's which you can never see in English. I'll give you just another one thing like that. In in you know when it talks about in the Bible, and this goes with this, talks about mercy. You know, one of the things that one of the mysteries. Uh, is, is called Rahamim, and that is that well, it, doesn't, it doesn't really say, the teacher says to the, to the disciple, says that, you know, it, the Bible doesn't say God has mercy, the, the disciple says, no, that, that's not true, teacher, it, of course it does. He says, no, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say he has mercy. It says he has Rahamim. It does, and the word Rahamim doesn't mean mercy. You can't say, in the Bible, it doesn't say that. It says he has mercies, plural, meaning, meaning this. The word for sin is singular in the Bible, but the word for God's love or mercy is plural. What does that mean? No matter how much sin you have, God's mercy is greater. No matter how much you, you have, you can never exhaust the mercy of God. That's why it says they're new every day, and they are forever, ever, everlasting. What are the wings of Messiah? Okay. This, this is, you know, now, you know, there's all these pictures, Richard, you know, people have of Jesus, of, and, and they draw pictures of what he wore, and all of them they have him wearing red for some reason, but we do know something. We do know that he was Jewish, obviously looked Jewish, and we do know what he was wearing, because the Bible says that 
in the law that you have to wear fringes on your garment. And if you look at Orthodox Jews, you see these fringes. You right, know? Right. Well, Messiah, he fulfilled the law. He absolutely had these fringes. They are, in Hebrew, they're called, there are two words for it. One is called kanaf, which is the corner, and the other is tzitzit, which is the fringes of the corner. They are the sacred fringe. Now, when you read in the Bible, it says that, remember, the, of course, the woman says, I've got to touch the hem of his garment. I'll get, well, yes, yes. You, know, he, you know, this is one of the examples where your people are missing so much because it doesn't say, it's not about the hem of his garment. It's a, the word is kraspadon in Greek, and that stands for the Hebrew kanaf. And so what it's saying is, it wasn't just the corner, it was the sacred fringe or the sacred corner that God commanded. That's what she touched. And, and not just her, it says people all over, you know, people all over Galilee were touching him and they got healed when they touched his, the fringe of his garment, the sacred fringe. But now he, or the kanaf. Now here's the, now, now add to that. I mean, that's enough. But add to that. At the very end of the Bible, it is this amazing prophecy. It was one of the last words of the, uh, I, mean, I should say, the, old, the end of the Hebrew Scriptures just before the New Testament. It says, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The Son of Righteousness. Okay, that's about ultimately the day of Messiah. Well, it says healing in its wings, but in Hebrew it doesn't say that. In Hebrew it says healing in his kanaf. So literally it's referring to that sacred fringe that literally they were healed from. So it's the, literally those are the wings of Messiah under the shadow of his wings. It's healing and what it's telling us. You go to the heart is that, listen, God's, it made himself touchable. We got. It. We are to touch him with everything, no matter what it is, whatever, whatever rottenness, whatever shame, whatever sin. Touch God with it, and you'll be healed. And and yet they're they're writing about this in the Old Testament. So I guess that's what they mean when when it is said the Old Testament is uh, the New Testament. Or the, sorry, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like another way. Yeah, another way of kind of putting that is that you know you have it's like an iceberg. You know, you know the New Testament. You see the top of it, the peak, which is everything. Everything's heading together, but you, you may not see the majesty of it all until you strip away and see how this gigantic mountain. Everything is leading to him. It is so big. I mean, there, Richard. I've been, you know, you know. I mean, you know a little bit about me. I've been studying the Bible. And we've been, and all, but uh, there's no end. I mean, you know, you know, you know, a book is as deep as its all as, as its author. You Particularly know, no if end. you can speak. Uh, Hebrew, ancient Greek, and English. Yeah, do well, that sp- helps. You know, do, that do you helps. speak? Yeah. Do you I, speak I, ancient Greek, or can well, you read I, it? I read it and I study it. Yeah, when, I read it and study it. Yeah, I don't have a lot of Greeks to talk to, but I, but I do. <laughs> study it. And, and I think you know one of the things I think of there, there is which goes in kind of another point. One of the mysteries of the end times is called the chiasma, yes. and that is that I won't go into it except to say that what what was in the beginning has to be at the end. And God sets up some things in the Bible as a chiasma. I won't, I won't go into it, but it's like, the, it's like a mirror image. So in the beginning of the age, you had Israel. At the end of the age, you have Israel. In the age, you had Jewish believers, and, and together, and you had, in the age, you have Jewish believers. And I think that one of the things is that, you know, the, the, for 2,000 years, the church and Israel and the Jewish people have been separated. Each has a part of the mystery. But I think some things can only come, be revealed as it's coming together. So now is the time of coming together. And, and so that's why I think a lot of these things can be revealed now. I'm just, you know, for, for people who, I speak English, my wife is Greek, so Greek okay. is spoken in the house, and I know, oh, cool. enough, I, know, I know enough not to go hungry in a restaurant, that's about it. <laughs> uh, imagine, though, and I'm envious because you can speak all three, so the, the Bible must just come, like, uh, totally to life for you, being able to read all three languages. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, you know, and, and yeah, and ultimately with all of us, you know, we have to be 
open because even I mean, yeah, all that is in, you know is the tools the Lord uses. But if we're really open and seeking Him, I mean, I believe in the Spirit He'll He'll show all. I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, example example, Richard. There's something called one. It's one of the streams in the book, and it's called the mystery of the bride and groom. And yes. this is not something that you necessarily would see in the Hebrew, although there's a lot of Hebrew. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it's something by knowing what was, and it's so beautiful, so awesome, and it sums up everything. And I'll just give a quick nutshell. And that and and in the book. The teacher is saying, "Come to the disciple. We're going to. Co- we're coming to. We're going to a wedding." And throughout the book, they watch this desert wedding that's done as if it was in the Bible. And the, it's the mystery of the Bible. It's the mystery of us. It's the mystery of God. And that is, in a nutshell, according to the, in the Hebrew marriage, the biblical marriage, in order for there to be marriage, the bridegroom has to make a journey from his house to the house of the bride. It can't happen without that. And well, what happened two thousand years ago? God is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And so, what happens according to the mystery, God, the bridegroom, has to make a journey from his house to our house. So 2,000 years ago, the bridegroom, God, journeyed to this world across time and space, came to Israel, and he's the God who come. the bridegroom in the Hebrew never never waits for the bride to come to him. The bridegroom always comes to the bride. So it's, he, we have the God who comes to us. He ne- we never have, we, we're not the ones who have to journey. To, he comes to us, and then what he does, what the bridegroom does in the mystery, is he offers a, a treasure for the bride. Well, 2,000 years ago, God offered the treasure. It was not silver or gold. It was his life. Then he makes a covenant. So he made a covenant. They share a cup of wine. Actually, he shared a cup of wine with us. Then, according to the mystery, the bridegroom has to leave the house of the bride, go back to his house. And that's exactly what he did. He, has to, he said, I have to leave now. I'm going to prepare a place. The bridegroom prepares a place for the bride while the bride gets ready for the bridegroom to come. So that's what we are now. Right now we are getting ready to prepare for a great wedding. We're getting ready. We've got to get ready to become more beautiful, get ready to say goodbye to this world, and get ready for that day. And then, and according to the mystery, comes the great day of the wedding. The bridegroom is dressed up as a king. He comes in a great procession in glory, comes for the bride. They see each other face to face. They both are whisked away on this great procession. They're taken from the, her house, to the, and she sees finally the house that he has prepared for us. So there will be a day when he comes again. There's always two comings of the bridegroom. He will come again, this time in glory. He will come not to make a covenant. He'll come to take us home. And one day we're going to see the place that he has prepared for us, that finally, for the first time in our life, we will be home. That is a little taste. I can't, I can't do, I could just do a little bit. That's a little taste of the mystery of the bridegroom. Just one of 365 uh, mysteries in the Book of Mysteries. Jonathan, we just have maybe a minute and a half. I just want to be, as we, as we close this hour, and we'll keep you over to the next hour and talk about something a little different. Yeah. But as we close, just give me your thoughts on, uh, you know, um, the election of Donald Trump, and, and I don't know if, uh, if you've paid much attention to this, but many people are drawing inferences to Cyrus in the book of uh, yes. Isaiah. Yes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I'll give a nutshell, I, I've been asked to speak at the Presidential Inaugural Prayer Breakfast, um, so please, please pray for me on that day in Washington. Please pray for me, because I, I, I feel like I have to do a prophetic word. I think a few things. I think that is totally, totally possible. Absolutely. I think we've been given a window, because if it went the other way, things would have been sealed. It gave, it gave us a window, and this is a window where God can use, even though, like Cyrus, where Donald Trump may not have planned anything that, that he knows, but God can use. But the thing is that the key is, this is a window. I I told you Donald Trump is in the harbinger. And this can be an incredible window if we focus on coming back to God, focus on revival. If, if, if the idea is we're going to be great again because of a person or a system or put our trust in government or whatever it is, it could be a disaster. But if we take this to do everything,
everything we can to get things back to God and go for pray for revival, it can be awesome. So I think it's kind of choose you this day. And uh, just one final note on that, uh, because Cyrus helped free the Jews from Babylon. They went back. Uh, he had walls built, walls built around Jerusalem, <laughs> and the rumor is he got someone else to pay for them. <laughs> well, yeah, that interesting. I've never heard that one, Richard. Very interesting. All right, Jonathan Kahn will stay with us. Uh, he'll share with us a remarkable story involving Cuba, the late dictator Fidel Castro. Now that Castro is dead, Jonathan can share this remarkable story. That's coming up next. Just a reminder, my website, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. <laughs> 